The evolution of gambling and pro sports. Have you ever noticed how many commercials there are when you're watching sports? How many commercials there are for gambling websites? We talked about that today, the ethics of that, and whether or not it's okay for current professional athletes to be in these ads. Converting office space to residential space in downtown Winnipeg. We're seeing more of it. This week, we learned of some new developments that are happening, and we wanted to know, what do you think? Is this a good idea? Will it work? And following up on Wednesday's topic on food or drink Achilles heel, what is your non-food Achilles heel? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's off the rest of the week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, March 30th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off this week. And we are going to, we want to give you the results of our question of the day yesterday on the Jets. We want to tell you about some interesting stuff with downtown Winnipeg as it pertains to residential property. But Mr. Mackling, we have in our studio a little chart of the various stories that are being viewed on globalnews.ca across the country. And what is our top story right now? Teen needs size 23 shoes. Under Armour steps up to make its largest ever pair. And my reaction to that is, first of all, holy crow. 23. Yep. I think my kids' feet are big, you know, at 11 and a half. I know some kids in their teens that are 12 and, and 13 sized feet and, and need shoes that big. But my reaction to you was didn't Shaquille O'Neal wear size 22 That's basketball right. shoes? It was size 22. You remember the, uh, was it Foot Locker that used to have his shoe outside? I think it was. And I think you could actually handle it and, you know, put your hand in it and just. Stare in amazement and go, I can't believe a human being has feet this large. Yeah, yeah, they were, I believe they were uh, Reebok. Were they pumps? I don't know if they were pumps, but they were, I think it was the Reebok shoe and it was fashioned under the the colors of the Orlando Magic. So it was like black, white, silver, and blue, I think. Yeah, it sounds perfectly accurate to me. But yeah, every time I saw those shoes outside (laughs) the store, I had the same reaction. Like, how is this physically possible? And when you go to the the story at globalnews.ca, there's a couple of pictures. So the 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 name of this 14 year old Michigan native, Eric Kilburn Jr. He's six foot ten, wears a size twenty three shoe. First of all, it looks like this is a family of giants. Like he's a he is a big boy, and I'm assuming the adults in this photograph are his parents. If he's 6'10", his dad is not much shorter, We're nope. an inch or two. And even, I assume that's his mom on the right. Yeah, his mom's super tall as well, if yeah. that's his mom. So this is a big, tall family. But yeah, so she, so his mom publicly asked for help finding shoes that fit. So thanks to that public plea, Under Armour stepped up to make him a pair of custom shoes, the largest ever made by the sportswear brand, because... For a while, like, and, and it, as you point to the site, the story even cites Shaquille O'Neal, former basketball player, legend, who wears size 22. His only option was to buy shoes created by an orthopedic specialist at uh, $1,500 a pair. So that option was too pricey to accommodate his still growing feet. Remember, he's 14. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I want to see their grocery bill, let alone the shoe bill. I want to oh, see the grocery man. bill in this house. Cause he's, and he's not the only kid either. Yeah. Got a br- little brother too. <laughs> so we just wanted to share that because that is remarkable. And, uh, the, oh, and if you scroll further down, there's a almost, it's kind of an amusing picture really of him playing football uh, with, he's just towering over the other students on the field with him. So that's a neat story. Good for mom for stepping up and saying, hey, we need some help. Yep. Good on the young man. I mean, that's not easy. That's not easy to be a, a, a big guy like that because yeah. you do stand out in the crowd. And uh, the idea that Ar- Under Armour is stepping up here to help out, I think, is fantastic as well. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I, I don't know how often you have people with shoe sizes in the 20s. I think I, like, at the most, I'll wear a size 12. It depends on the, the shoe, depends on the kind of shoe, depends on the company. Uh, I think I used to wear size 12 basketball shoes, but I probably could have gotten away with 11. And in hindsight, I think I should have because most of the shoes I wear now are in the 11 to 10 and a half to 11 and a half range. I can sort of jam into a 10 and a half if necessary, but 11 seems to be the preferred. So to imagine carrying a, f- a foot around that's twice the size, it'd be like walking around with flippers. Hundred percent. I, I, you know, hey, just uh, kudos. Uh, this, this is a this is a neat story, and uh, this is uh, ultimately going to be a happy ending. So we'll have to keep an eye on this uh, young man. Is there any way we can get uh, stock in like a consortium and and maybe bet in uh, on uh, Eric Kilburn Jr. <laughs> so you can read more at globalnews.ca. The headline, Teen Needs Size, 23 Shoes, Under Armour Steps Up to Make Its Largest Ever Pair. Question of the day results yesterday at cjob.com. The Winnipeg Jets are floundering. What do you want to see from them moving forward? 34% said effort and results. 11% said more effort, as in just play harder. 11% just win, baby. And 44% say, I don't care. Similar results on Twitter. And I've just bumped that back to the top of our Twitter profile. If you'd like to vote on that at 680CJOB, or you can vote on Instagram as well. But what's your take on those results, Mackling? Well, those are those are similar to the way I imagine them, quite frankly. And, uh, of course, Cam Poitras joined us at 835 yesterday in an impassioned response to the way the Jets have been been playing. And and Cam, I don't want to speak for him, but, you know, just to summarize, you know, it's it's hurting his heart. Because, uh, as Cam pointed out, he's not a journalist. He's, he's not a sports reporter. He's uh, the voice of... And tries to reflect the the emotion, the feelings of the fans uh, when he's you know on Jets at noon, and and so I admired Cam's honesty yesterday in our conversation because I'm feeling exactly the same way. This community uh, loves the Winnipeg Jets; they they want to support the Jets; they do so. Uh, but right now, people are frustrated with the effort of the hockey team, and the the, the I don't care number. You have to take a serious look at that number. Because if that number starts to grow, when you go from being angry to indifferent, that's when a sports team, when a franchise is in trouble, potentially financially and otherwise. And I'm not going anywhere near. I'm not trying to suggest that that's where the Jets are at. That's not part of the discussion. But in terms of marketing and hoping that you can that you can uh, encourage your fans to stick with you, when the I don't care level is rising, typically the ticket sales are sinking. 
As downtowns across North America are evolving alongside our changing work habits, commuting routines, and where the office of our workplace is, some interesting changes are taking place in spaces originally built as office space. And, um, you know, there's cities that are struggling with it more so than we are, like Calgary that has 30% office vacancy. And they've rolled out grant programs to facilitate the conversion of office buildings as it's, uh, it represents a high return on investment from a government's point of view because if you bring down the office vacancy and increase the tax base on existing office and then convert office buildings that are underutilized and at the end of their useful life into rental apartments, then uh, it's good for our downtowns and um, I, it's something that should be, should be done more and more. And I think we're going to start to see a lot more of, of it happening. So that is the voice of Bryce Alston. Bryce is director of Alston Properties. And from my desk in our newsroom on the north side of 201 Portage, Brett, I can look down. You can as well. Uh, you got to stand up to see it. But right from my desk, I look down on 433 Main Street. Now, most of us know that as the building where you go in order to get your passport. Well, the entire look of that building has changed over the last four or five years. And so is its function. There are now apartments on the top several floors of that building, thanks to Alston. And Alston's company is now working on another space on Carlton Street, numbers 175 and 185, to be specific. So it's an 84,000 square foot, it was an 84,000 square foot Class C office building uh, that had historically struggled with vacancy. And so we acquired that building in May of 2022. Um, and at that time, the uh, the building was priced for a conversion. And we had done one conversion prior at 43 Main Street. And so we uh, we saw an opportunity there to, to take a building that struggled with very, very high office vacancy and turn part of it into 35 rental apartment units and then stabilize the office component of it. And it seems like a, a a newer phenomenon, these office building conversions, and um, they're they're very difficult, but it's a very efficient and sustainable way of of uh, developing rental apartment housing within our downtown cores. Now, Alston joined Kate Fenske of the Downtown Winnipeg Biz on the news with Richard and Julie yesterday afternoon to discuss this pending evolution. One of the key pieces of the puzzle for, for our downtown. Um, we know it just can't be about office workers anymore. Downtown is different over the last couple of years. Um, and we also have um, real challenges around housing in our city. So it is important for folks uh, like Bryce and other developers that are looking at what is that mix of housing going to look like. And I think it's it can absolutely build to the tax base and really helps our city become more sustainable um, when we're doing those infill projects or these conversions. And we have seen some really successful conversions already. Another example downtown is Medical Arts Building into the artist residence on Kennedy. So they have been happening, but not necessarily at the scale that we might see in the future. But there's also a lot of you know conversations around what is the future of office space going to look like? And I think that's where there is opportunity in that, that class B area of office space um, as Bryce mentioned, you know, when buildings come to, to, the, to their end of, of sort of their purpose of serving that office space, there's a huge opportunity here. This really comes down to people and what are people looking for. So I think, you know, these conversions are key, but also what happens around the public space um, in terms of green space and trees uh, and what our streets look like downtown. So when we discuss downtown, we will ultimately get pushback from some listeners about the fact they never go downtown. Or they ask, who in their right mind would want to live downtown? Look, downtown living, or 
even working, is not for everyone. But one thing that is clear... Absolutely, what's going to make downtown um, more vibrant and contribute to safety as well is having more people live in downtown. So yeah, these projects are not easy. Um, as Bryce mentioned, you know, it, 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 you have to find the right building at the right price. Um, and it's everything from what are the hallways, what are the windows like. Um, so, But I think we do have some properties in our downtown that are right for this. Um, and, and it's really exciting to see uh, developers like Bryce and others that are committed to downtown and building up the community here and really making it a neighborhood. So Dan Chuby of Colliers, Winnipeg, expands on the market conditions which make these conversions an option. And Brett, you might be surprised to learn it isn't all pandemic related. The trend really started um, prior to the pandemic when we've seen a, a dramatic fight to quality where tenants are gravitating towards better quality buildings, which has left some of the older inventory that we had in Winnipeg um, unable to compete, whether it was in terms of amenities, quality of space, and that led to rising vacancy, which was, I'd say, one of the drivers for a best use conversion opportunity, which Bryce would have mentioned for the Carlton property. Uh, but they also need to then look at the building itself and ensure does it have is, is the shape appropriate for conversion? Does the floor plate lend itself uh, to multifamily? Because it's not necessarily as easy as just saying, I want to convert an office building into residential. And so um, where that high vacancy does come into play and the uh, the financials do make sense, then absolutely it, um, we're, we're seeing that trend start to translate into more of these conversions. But um, in some of the initial uh, views that we've had, it would be somewhere in the range of 10 to 20 percent uh, might be appropriate for conversion. So it's not necessarily that every building could be appropriate, and it is typically in that class B and C where you do have the higher vacancy in Winnipeg. So this, in my mind, Brett, fascinating time in the evolution of our downtown. And despite the challenges we're seeing, it does present some very exciting prospects for change. And fortunately for our city, there are people prepared to advance that change. And later on this morning, we'll speak with Gino Distasio, University of Winnipeg. We go to him on a variety of different topics when it comes to urban planning and the downtown. And I mentioned to him in my email to him yesterday, inviting him to discuss this this topic that one of the most exciting projects that that I can remember in terms of these conversions. Do you remember the? I think it was called the Court Sports Club or the Racket Sports Club on Saint Mary and Portage Avenue. You could there was squash and racquetball courts. Yep, those have been converted. That building has been converted to offices on the main floor and apartments above. Really nice condos too. above. Pretty cool. Maybe you've even been in there. And uh, Gino says. My office used to be in that building, and that conversion happened, gosh, I don't know, 15, maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. I, I've, I haven't been in those suites, but uh, one of our one of our old colleagues actually lived in there for a time, and he, spectacular, like a really unique living space. So I like this idea that we're taking advantage of potentially unused. If the space isn't being used, then let's get, let's get people in there. And bonus... If you end up living at 175 Carlton, you know what's on the main floor there. Is there a pub? Yeah, Shannon's Irish pub. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> it is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today and tomorrow. Yesterday, we talked about your Achilles heel when it comes to food or drink. So the, the, the food stuff, the drink that you just can't help yourself with. Well, we want to do something a little different with that today. 
Let's make it your non-food or drink Achilles heel. Maybe it's something you buy too many of. For example, Mackling, what do you do when you go on vacation? Oh, t-shirts. I need the t-shirt. You know how you can uh, <laughs> you go to Hawaii and, and you can buy the t-shirt that says my grandma and grandpa went to Hawaii and they bought me, brought me back was this lousy t-shirt? Yeah. I want the lousy t-shirt that says Hawaii or Grand Canyon or New York or whatever it might be. And so last summer we did the, our driving vacation and Jackie didn't uh, join us on the first leg. My dad did. And so my dad and my two boys drove from here down to California and, and uh, Jackie took the week off to organize the house. And I get this text message all about three days in, you are not allowed to ever buy another t-shirt. Well, I already had, I already had four new t-shirts on our road trip at this point and came home, I think with seven ultimately uh, from our two week adventure. So yeah, t-shirts and I've got bins of them and my kids are wearing them now from the eighties and the nineties. Really? And uh, so I think it's great. I'll never be cured of it. Excellent. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. Your non-food Achilles heel. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe you collect something and you, it's just too much. Like I remember about 10 years ago, I got back into collecting comic books. I think I just, I went, remember the movie Kick-Ass? Yes. So that was based on a comic book and it had been compiled into one single graphic novel so i went into the form it's not there anymore but comics america on academy it's not there anymore no it's been converted it's uh, it's gone and it's been converted into three shops including uh, where our friends at the peg authentic they've gone oh, there now okay. and uh it's called uh, parent now they, they've merged a couple of brands so that's one of the little shops that's in there but just the act of going in there even though i went in to get one thing Entering a comic shop again, it was like, well, it game over. And I started collecting comics. And I had to abandon ship because by the end, I think I, a couple years later, I was collecting like 15 or 16 titles. I didn't have the time to read them. And it was just getting too expensive. So I just had to quit. Uh, or may, So maybe it's a hobby that consumes too much time or space in your head, etc. Cam, what about you? I think you've already consulted your wife this morning. Yeah. So when uh, usually this is uh, something that gets decided on um, each morning. Uh, this one actually came to me yesterday. So I've never wasted a cent on anything in my entire life. So, But my, I, my, my wife would, uh, would, would disagree with that. She added this morning that I'm not that bad. So that, that makes me feel a little bit better. Oh. Um, but I asked her to compile a list of things that she thinks that I waste my money on. Uh, it reads, the list starts with the top three are one, video games, which I haven't really bought too many of lately. But video games, books you can't possibly read in one lifetime. Ah. Uh, three, collectible cards. Don't ask. It's my greatest shame. Leave it at that. Um, as well, various fads. Uh, tennis supplies. When I was really into tennis, uh, painting supplies, and I, I admit, I go into in and out of fads. Uh, painting, when I was painting like crazy, beard supplies, and then fountain pens, which she also <laughs> thinks I waste money on. Uh, so there's there's a list. Um, Tennis supplies, like the, the wristbands and the headbands. Uh, like, what do you need other um, than a racket and some, some balls? I already had the shoes, yeah. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I guess, but All right. apparently it was a fad that I was wasting money on. <laughs> How many books do you own? Uh... Probably over a hundred for sure. You shamelessly display them? Uh oh wow, yeah, totally Costanza and I like don't lend them out. I don't give them to people. Like I uh I like I hold on to them. Yeah. As if you couldn't read a hundred books in your lifetime. Well, I keep adding to it. That's the thing. It's like I'll buy one book. Like I just stopped myself there was this one book I really wanted. 
and uh, it was on sale. And I was thinking like, man, I could read this, but I also have like seven others that I need to read before that. Um, so I, I had to stop myself because I keep <laughs> adding to that to that list. So. Skylar Peters, what about you, sir? Uh, I had to think about this one. I thought it might be golf balls. Brett McGarry, you could probably relate. You know, anytime you see one on the course, uh, mm. even though it might be, you know, a max fly or a 20-year-old pinnacle, it usually goes in the bag for, for too long and makes it way heavier. Uh, the one that I think I got a quite colorful, like, third of my closet made up of sports jerseys. Um, particularly the Seattle Seahawks. I think I've got like seven or eight now. I get one every season. Whatever player I think is going to have a good year. So they just re-signed their quarterback, Geno Smith. So I'm getting myself a Geno Smith jersey before the start of next season. Prepare to be disappointed. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Guy was a pro bowler last year. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. but, um, Flash in the pan. Well, the issue is, is you got to get the guys that have some sort of legacy because, uh, you know, players move on in the NFL, not for long. And I have uh, just what, two active players, actually. Seahawks re-signed Bobby Wagner, he comes back to Seattle from the Rams. Mm-hmm. So out of the seven jerseys, now I have two players that still play on the team. And I've only been a fan for like a decade. So you need legacy jerseys, like 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 yeah, you were drooling like on my Sean, on my and Sean Alexander yeah, jersey. Yeah, you were exactly. drooling on that one on that St. Nice Patrick's one. Day. That was before my time as a fan. I love that one though. You do have, by the way, you have uh, your your white Seahawks pullover parka is gorgeous. I saw you out awesome. skating on the River Trail a few weeks back with a lady mm. friend. I'm like, I know that jacket. I saw it coming a mile away. Um, but uh, by the time I, I, I was like, I think the, no, you know what? I didn't because I, I didn't see it until I saw the jacket, and then I remembered the wearer. But by the time you, I realized it, <laughs> I was flying. You already went, <laughs> already passed me. Forte, what about you? For me, it'd be audio equipment, music equipment. Uh, like since I was a teenager, I'd buy like I had drums. Uh, I would buy PA system, lights. I would. I just bought so much of it, cords. Like I spent thousands on just cords alone. And, uh, like, of course, it doesn't fit in my place. It's all at my parents' place. And uh, when I did move out, I ended up buying a keyboard, which I still haven't learned how to play. And, uh, you know, it's just, <laughs> I just can't, I don't want to get rid of it. You know, I should, but I don't want to get rid of it. One man band. It doesn't take up that much space, the keyboard, does it? No, the keyboard doesn't, but uh, my PA system, like, I have a ton of speakers. I've got cords everywhere in my parents' basement. It takes up too much space. There's a late addition to the list. My Valor FC jerseys that apparently all look the same as well. So anything <laughs> I waste money on. It's a late addition from wife, my wife. From the clouds. Me how, many, how many Valor FC jerseys could you possibly I have? I have six and in getting three a seven. That's incredible. Uh, it's been five years. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, you're off the hook. Today is one of the most anticipated days on the sports calendar. It is opening day in Major League Baseball. And if you watch sports of any type on television, it is impossible to miss these. I still love to compete. Only now I do it on bet99.net. Come on! Drain that three! I'm trying to practice here, Wayne. You need it. Yes! Nets that way, bud. Shouldn't you be golfing? So you heard the voices of Jamie Foxx, George St. Pierre, Wayne Gretzky, and Connor McDavid in that montage of advertisements for sports betting websites. Brett, the ads 
are endless, and sometimes they're even integrated into the gameplay, rink board ad- advertisements, and more. Our next guest's research focuses on the etiology and treatment of problem gambling and video gaming, training and treatment for individuals with behavioral addictions, online gaming and sports wagering, measurement of behavioral addictions, and criminal behavior and problem gambling. Leah Naura is professor and director of the Center for Gambling Studies School of Social Work at Rutgers University in New York State. Leah, good morning. Hello. Thanks for spending some time with us. Let's start with one of the voices we heard in that montage. Connor McDavid, superstar center with the Edmonton Oilers, an active player. This boggles my mind, Leah, as we celebrate opening day in baseball, a sport which has banned one of its biggest ever stars, Pete Rose, where you are now in an era where teams have open relationships with sport betting. In the case of the NHL, an active player involved in its promotion. What gives? Uh, You know, money talks and there's huge money in this and everybody wants a piece of it. So it's very hard when the leagues are invested in these companies to say the players can't benefit from it as well. But then, of course, we have the whole integrity issue, which is not being talked about, that's obviously going to become front and center down the road. Now, the proliferation of these sites would indicate, as you pointed out, extremely profitable and popular. But just how popular are they and who is using them? Um, They're very popular primarily with men. Uh, They tend to be a much younger demographic than, for example, online gambling, casino gambling. Um, And the fastest growing group in in the United States anyway, in New Jersey, where I'm based, is 21 to 24-year-olds. So let's get back to this integrity question then, Leah. You you brought it up. I don't know if I was going to go there, but I'm glad you did. Uh, Even my kids at 14, 15, uh, 16 years old were kind of wondering what the deal is with this. Like, aren't the players going to be tempted? Couldn't they be tempted to get involved in this? The officials. Is that the big concern with regard to sports gambling when you mention integrity? Like, the, the ability to potentially uh, corrupt the sport. Yeah. I mean, the real danger is with not with the superstars so much, um, but it's with the middle, the players in the middle, the officials. That's where the real danger lies. I mean, I can remember when the NBA came to Canada, uh, the Grizzlies in Vancouver and the Raptors in Toronto, and the NBA said that the the two provinces involved, British Columbia and Ontario, had to uh, eliminate the NBA from their you know sanctioned sports betting sites in order for those teams to come to Canada. And there was always a hesitation to go to Las Vegas. Well, now you've got the NHL was the first. The NHL said, oh, no, you can't be called the Aces. Uh, So they settled on Golden Knights, and now you have the NFL, MLB, probably not too far behind. So is it simply the money that switched here, Leah? It's the money. (laughs) It's the money. I mean, everybody wants the money. In the the United States, the states are all just on life support for money, and this gambling provides a huge amount of revenue, and a blind eye is being turned to who is actually, who's spending all these billions. Well, a disproportionate amount of these billions are being spent by people who can't afford them. I mean, at least in, in my research world, four to 5% of people are spending 65% of the money. Can you repeat that number? Four to 5% of the people spend 
between 50 and 65% of all the money and place about that same amount of the bets. My word. So here's the concern I've had, and there are lots of them, but the conversation uh, has to wrap up here. But the idea of being able to bet online involves the use of a credit card. And I know I've got access potentially to far more money on my credit cards than I do in my savings account. How big of an issue is that? It's huge. What we're seeing here is that third-party payment services, like in the United States, we use PayPal, these e-pay services, they can mask how many credit cards even a person is using. So there's no way even for the operators to know this person may have 10 credit cards all maxed out on the other side and be a minimum wage employee. And there's nowhere way to know that the first thing I'd get rid of is these three third party services. It sounds like we need another conversation on this, this uh, situation not going away and we just sort of scratch the surface, but we appreciate you doing that with us this morning, Leah. Oh, you're welcome. Have a nice day. Leah Nauer, professor and director of the Center for Gambling Studies School of Social Work at Rutgers University in New York State. And if you'd like to weigh in, feel free to do so at 204-780-6868. Do you like betting on sports? Do you have somebody in your life who likes betting on sports? I know that a lot of people are into that fantasy league stuff, and uh, it's not something I've ever dabbled in and probably a good idea for me to stay away from that. Well, the money involved in that uh, potentially is uh, can be huge, and also it's the time and the distraction, the socialization, the lack of socialization. It's, uh, it's a real issue, and like I said, that discussion just sort of set the table for more con- discussion on the topic, Brett. <laughs> It's time for the Small Town Salute. Last week, we made our way to St. Anne, Manitoba, which has somewhat of a factory for Canada's women's national team over the years. Seven members of that team have called St. Anne home. They are also vying for the Kraft Hockeyville title. That's right, Brett. And today we're heading to south-central Manitoba, where they have created a literal hockey factory. Let's say good morning to... WHA era Winnipeg Jets goaltender Gordy Tummelson joining us in the studio. Gordy, good morning. Good morning, guys. Appreciate you coming down to Portage in Maine and via telephone. We welcome from somewhere parts unknown in the Rocky Mountains of Alberta, Nicole Collins, both from the Pilot Mound Hockey Academy. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. I know it's an hour earlier, so where are you this morning? Um, we are home now, my home, in Athabasca, Alberta, which is just north of Edmonton, about okay. an hour north. Okay, so uh, when we were uh, texting yesterday, you were you were driving, so you're settled now. Uh, Gordy, let's start with an easy question with you for the, for the former goalie. Uh, where is Pilot Mount? Pilot Mount is two hours southwest of uh, Winnipeg and just below Brandon. Very good. So uh, southwest Manitoba, maybe more accurate than south central then. So... so uh, which, which highway do you take when you go? Highway number three is the best highway going on right now. There's a couple other highways to get there, but they're a little rough. So so uh, highway three, uh, you go down to Morden and make a right turn at Morden and just keep going out towards the Saskatchewan border and bingo, you're there. Perfect. So, Nicole, tell us about this academy. When and how did it begin? Absolutely. So about eight years ago, um, my family began a hockey academy. It was my uncle's dream, um, who was a, a former pro hockey player and coached in various academies and leagues throughout Canada and the U.S. Um, So we started it 
with one team and we've been a part of what's called the Canadian Sports School Hockey League um, and they run throughout all of Canada and now have ventured into the U.S. and we are moving into our eighth year and now have four teams and four prep teams I should say plus six mini teams triple-a spring teams for what we call the little buffs in the spring and we have just recently opened a new dormitory um, that is thousands of square feet that includes kitchen facilities, dormitories for everybody, recreation areas, and we're just finishing the basement to welcome everybody down to a full gym and rec area down there as well. So it's a one-stop shop for all our athletes. So, Nicole, why Pilot Mound? Uh, Pilot Mound is where we all grew up as a family, uh, multi-generation, and it actually started with our grandparents where we were taught to invest in our community and keep our community sustainable. So anything that we've ever done that we were raised to do was to keep that community viable. So this is one more step towards that, to keep communities like Pilot Mound moving forward and thriving. So our little town of about 800 people grows by 80 athletes every September as new residents come in to join the academy, go to the local schools, play hockey in the arena, and travel across Canada and the U.S. to play the sport that they love. Gordy, yesterday we spoke to Winnipeg Ice forward Connor McLennan. He left home at 13 to play hockey. Went to you know, he went to Kelowna, and then of course his WHL journey took him to Cranbrook, and then now to Winnipeg. And he's an Alberta boy. What is it about this game that has young people willing to focus? all their energy to sort of go all in on the game. Canada's culture of hockey. Uh, that's it. Uh, it's it's our sport. We play it. So we love it. We dream about it. We want to be in the NHL. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we can make some money at it now. <laughs> and um, it, it's it's where to be. <clears throat> we just, um, as, as players, <clears throat> that's all you want to do when you grow up. And, and so parents are willing to give up their kids and kids are willing to give up their families to mature, to get better development. And this is what a big part of what we do, the maturity part, the development part, and, of course, the education part is the other side. Small town hockey different, Gordy, than, than <clears throat> hockey in the city for kids oh, growing ab- up? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's nowhere to hide in a small town. Uh, so the kids are out there, and, and you know, they – they end up enjoying that because they're they're they're, they're not involved in oh, nefarious things beyond playing hockey and going to school and studying. And they get involved in the community. They they shovel snow. They help out seniors. They 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 clean the glass on the arena, uh, the glass, uh, you know, the plexiglass. They you know sweep the floors. So they're very involved in in the community. It's not just come to the rink, go home, and ignore whatever else is going on. They're very become very responsible. They do their own laundry. They do all. My parents go, oh, gee whiz, what did you do with my son? He's, he's doing his own laundry. What happened to him? So that's, yeah, it's kind of a neat thing. And, and Nicole, uh, there's some that, m- that might say this is a little too much. Why, why, why are we, you know, why are we creating uh, these spaces for, uh, for, for boys and girls to pursue their hockey dreams? What's your answer to that? Um, I would agree that it's not necessarily for everybody, but it's for individuals, as Gordy says, that want to pursue themselves in the hockey world. Uh, What's unique about the CSSHL is that it's 50% focus on hockey and 50% focus on academics. So we ensure that our school is focused equally on both. Academics is just as important. um, And we create pathways for both hockey development, but also for academic success, whether that be through um, WHL routes or down into uh, college routes 
NCAA scholarships, et cetera, so that they can further themselves both as hockey individuals as well as creating themselves into good humans. So that's the, the unique experience that a hockey academy provides to any student athlete. Gordy, whether someone's in a hockey or not, uh, I would suggest that, you know, this game is so important to this country, just listening to this conversation. But what, what's your take on that? Like, how important is this game to our, to our communities across the land? Well, it might be over-important sometimes, but uh, it, it's, it I mean, identifies us, uh, and, you know, sort of the curlers and, and some of the other sports now too. <clears throat> Excuse me. But hockey's been the number one thing to do. I mean, we're a cold place. Uh, we go outside, we play hockey, or at least we used to, uh, and and we grow up doing those things. And and it's on TV, and it's it's there. I mean, it's on TV all the time now. When I grew up, of course, one game a week, uh, Saturday night on CBC. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's it's our it's uh, it's in our blood. Uh, it's it's it is what Canada is. Uh, and uh, you know, so we're we're proud of uh, of who we are and how we play the game and how successful we've been. So all that pride and all that culture going mixing it together, boy, it's a it's a tough thing to beat. And you've got some great marketing, great logo, Pilot Mound <laughs> Buffaloes. I love it. And I guess uh, that's the big thing in Pilot Mound, uh, the roadside attraction, isn't it, Nicole? Is the is it is a bronze buffalo? What is it out there in Pilot Mound? It is. There's two of them that house uh, around the Pilot Mound sign, um, so for sure. And then, of course, we ensure that our colours are our community colours in terms of hockey. They've been around for 100 years, um, so we just keep that tradition going with a new type of team in the community. Where can we learn more, Nicole? If uh, you know, Obviously, if, if your kid's of a certain uh, uh, age and, and quality of player, they probably know about this academy. But for those who'd like to learn more, where can we go? Absolutely. PilotMoundHockeyAcademy.com and encourage everybody to give us a visit. We're holding evaluation camps in the next couple of weeks and anybody age 13 and up who plays at least double A hockey is encouraged to seek us out and see what we're all about. From the Pilot Mound Hockey Academy, Nicole Collins, thank you very much for, jo- for joining us this morning. Thank you. And Gordy Tummelson, WHA era Winnipeg Jets goaltender. Thank you very much for joining us as well. It's been great to be here, guys. Thank you. We asked you last half hour about swim lessons. Have you had success getting your kids into them since leisure guide registration opened up? What have we got? Several of you, in fact, uh, Brett, are asking why swim lessons aren't part of the school curriculum. One of our listeners saying that's what they do in Kenora. And we can tell you that there are several school divisions doing the same thing right here in Winnipeg, just not all of them. And so, you know, maybe that's a a point of discussion. Should that program be broadened citywide, maybe province-wide? for communities that have the resources and have the facilities to provide them. And Brett, you were wondering out loud whether or not you, your dad and mom had a problem registering you for swim lessons back in your day. Well, Chris says this, my kids are in their mid-30s. Swimming lesson registration problems were then as well for Chris as a dad. So okay. Back in the back in the day. <laughs> All right. So if you've got any more feedback on that, let us know. And... You can weigh in as well on what we're about to rediscuss here after we touched on this at 7.05. Today, of course, is one of the most anticipated days on the sports calendar, opening day in Major League Baseball. And if you watch sports of any type on television, it's kind of impossible to miss these. TD, back with 
K's, RBIs, and the TKOs, and B-I-G's. I still love to compete. Only now I do it on bet99.net. Come on! Drain that three! I'm trying to practice here, Wayne. You need it. Yes! Nets that way, bud. Shouldn't you be golfing? So you heard the voices of Jamie Foxx, George St. Pierre, Wayne Gretzky, and Connor McDavid in that montage of advertisements for sports betting websites. Yeah, and the ads are everywhere. They're endless. They're integrated into the social media. Sometimes they're integrated on the television broadcast into the gameplay, rink board, advertisements, and more. Our guest at 707, Leah Naur, is professor and director of the Center for Gambling Studies School of Social Work at Rutgers University in New York State. And Well, Leah says it's all about one thing. You know, money talks, and there's huge money in this, and everybody wants a piece of it. So we got some feedback uh, from a a couple of different points of view here, Brett. I'll read Janice's text here. It came in at 780-6868, and she says, My ex-husband probably still has a gambling addiction. Just over years ago, he gambled on sports tickets in a two-week span, Spent thousands of dollars because, quote, he had it figured out. All this was on a credit card that I was the main holder of. So I was stuck to pay off his gambling debt. As a single mom, I had to pay off that debt. Yes, the marriage ended. So watching NHL hockey uh, this season has been tough. It's traumatizing, in fact, for her. So I can say I do not agree with the excessive gambling advertising. And Ken says, I heard the sports betting segment and I agree the ads are out of hand. I am an avid and fairly successful sports investor, but the worst part of this industry are the sports books themselves. I've had numerous accounts limited due to the fact I'm profitable. However, if you are constantly loading, then they love you. Constantly losing, they love you. Yet they preach responsible gaming, LOL. In their eyes, winners are not responsible and can add bet 365 profits are over $2 billion, I believe, and have one of, if not the highest paid CEO in the world. So this has become integrated into the world of sport, into our life. And, you know, I, I, I've confessed in the past when uh, the VLTs came to Winnipeg back in the day when I was in the restaurant business, had cash in hand and uh, I didn't mind feeding the odd VLT and, a little bit of a problem for a short period of time back in the mid 1990s and since then I have known a lot of people it surprised me the number of people that I know that have had problems with them uh, you know I know that that revenue is integral in terms of uh, restaurants and bars in particular in, in uh, rural Manitoba but I've always believed like if you want to gamble you should have to go to a casino you should have to go somewhere very very specifically to take part in that activity and that's just my personal view on it Brett and now you can gamble anywhere and so it also becomes socially acceptable people that would never have imagined like myself I wasn't a gambler never even imagined gambling but then you know when you dump an entire paycheck into a VLT you go oh I've pretty quickly became a problem gambler yeah yeah right so uh, 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 the, the feedback's important fantasy aspect of this these fantasy leagues that people are a part of I I 
think those are interesting because of the social component. I know a lot of guys uh, get involved partly because it's something that they can do and enjoy together, and it adds an extra layer of drama to the games because you might be cheering for a team just because you like that team, but you might be cheering for a player on another team because of your fantasy league. Like There's a business you and I know that has a clock on the wall, a countdown clock that only changes twice in the year. Once it counts down to St. Patrick's Day, and then they, they, then once St. Patrick's Day passes, the count changes to when just the guys at the at the staff on staff hold their fantasy football draft. So for half the year, the clock is just for them, mm-hmm. but they love it, and I so I salute them for it. Um, I've I've never had any interest in that, but the sports gambling. Um, it's just become so easy to be able to do it. And that's one of the reasons why outside of buying the odd lottery ticket, I have not gotten into gambling because I don't, because I get it of my addictive personality. I don't want to even dabble in that. Well, and the big problem with the, with the sports betting in my mind is the fact that you have to have a credit card in order to bet online. You're not sliding dollar bills through your computer magically. <laughs> Into so, the floppy disk driver. <laughs> is that where the money goes? No, <laughs> you need to use a credit card. And I know I have uh, personally, and most of us, I suspect, have f- access to far more credit than we have actual cash to our name. And so now you're actually, you're betting not only on the games, you're betting with credit. <laughs> And a reminder, we're asking you to tell us about your non-food or drink Achilles heel. That's what we talked yesterday, and today we're asking you about, you know, your hobbies or obsessions that that can be out of control. Like a former colleague of ours, we'll just call her G, because I'm not sure if she wants her name on the air, uh, sent me a text responding to Cam's book problem. He said he has maybe 100 books and keeps adding to the pile. His wife says that's too many books for him to read in one lifetime. Well, our former colleague says Cam has nothing to worry about. She and her partner have 1,500 books, <coughs> mostly his, but it's limiting their options for what kind of house they can buy. My word. Now, I know my dad's listening this morning. Hopefully Jackie's not, but my dad collects hockey books. Yeah. And uh, he called me about three summers ago. He goes, I got to get these books out of the apartment. Can you stash these for me? So I've got a stash <laughs> in my garage on the top shelf of one of my storage uh, shelving units of oh, wow. uh, six boxes of hockey books. Dad, you're not getting them back. Oh, they're, they're, they're mine now. <laughs> <laughs> so you still got time to get in. We have tickets to give away for either the Manitoba Moose versus the Grand Rapids Griffins at Canada Life Center on Friday, April 7th, or tickets for the Living Green Gardening Show at Red River Exhibition Place, April 7th to the 9th. We'll pick a winner at 9.15 and then you will pick your prize. So our next guest here, regular contributor on 680 CJOB, his name is Gino Distazio, Director of the Institute of Urban Studies and Vice President of Research and Innovation at the university. We say good morning, Gino. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Gino, when I reached out to you yesterday about this topic of discussion, and uh, the topic today is a conversion of you know office space into residential units, and of course, in in uh, Winnipeg, we have this unique example of a conversion from a sports court 
club or a court sports club on the corner of Portage and St. Mary. And that was one that always intrigued me because they've got apartments or condos uh, kind of up top and where the, the big high ceilinged courts were and then the offices on the main floor. And then what did you tell me in that email or in your response to my email? Well, yeah, I was actually part of the first uh, first tenant of that building when we went in as the Institute of Urban Studies, and the developer at the time was looking to transform uh, a forgotten sport in racquetball in Winnipeg into something unique. So those are the kinds of projects that I think really drive the changes that we're starting to see in the downtown with different kinds of buildings, you know, medical arts buildings turning into apartments and old warehouses turning into condos. So it's it's one of those dynamic aspects of our, our central cities and downtowns. We just, we have to adapt the kinds of spaces because things change over time and no more so uh, than in the downtown. So when you hear the news that we've been discussing for the last uh, 24 hours or so, that more uh, more space downtown, more office space is being converted to residential, what was your reaction to that? Well, it's interesting because, you know, for a lot of Winnipeggers, you might think of this as sort of a second wave. And and when we look at, say, the exchange district that went from, you know, wholesaling to warehousing and then to residential slash commercial slash, you know, entertainment and or retail. So, again, we've gone through different periods. I think what we're seeing right now, though, is something more unique in some of our more recent, like more modern office buildings sort of being reimagined as uh, as uh, residential or even commercial uses. So I- I'm not surprised, but I think, you know, what's happened is the pandemic and the restructuring of downtown as a place to be is, is really accelerating uh, a lot of these adaptive reuses, like people sitting on these things, they need to figure out a new use if it is an office. Gino, for some that may have caught uh, our replay of the discussion from yesterday's news with Richard and Julie, uh, one of the words that came up was floor plate. And so that might not be necessarily something, you know, floor plan probably we can imagine, but talk about that technical terminology and what determines whether or not a commercial building is viable or even an option in terms of converting it from an office use into a residential use. Yeah, and you know, and the easiest way to think about that is if you have a very large office floor plate, like a very wide building, realistically for residential, you can only go so far back from the windows. I mean, you really need to have windows. So we're talking maybe 30 feet back from a window um, that you can maybe put your exterior walls. Like you just can't have a cavern in, in, in a residential. So there's different occupancy standards when we convert. So again, uh, an, a very interesting example would be uh, the Ashdown Warehouse Building that had to figure out how to bring more light into the more central parts of it. So they actually reused some of the old light wells, the light shafts that older buildings had to use to bring light into the middle of big, wide floor plates. Or take, for example, a building like the Bay. Like, you can't go too far from the exterior wall and still build residential. That's always been the big challenge of some of these big, big buildings. So... It just presents one of those design pieces that uh, are are hard to address in some of the big office complexes. And we're seeing that across many North American cities that are kind of struggling with how do you adapt these uh, office structures into, say, residential and accommodate windows and light.
I know enough about uh, building stuff uh, to be dangerous, Gino. So uh, if I'm off, if I'm off, uh, off uh, target here, uh, set me straight. But I, I see these uh, massive uh, sections of concrete that'll get moved into place uh, for buildings that are, are are getting, you know, high rise buildings, steel and and concrete construction, and you and you see like the the the. Uh, I don't uh, cylindrical holes that are sort of cut through them. Is that for is that for plumbing considerations? Talk about that, and and does that play uh, a, a role in terms of the limitation of the options here as well? Is that is that something you have to overcome in these conversions? Oh, absolutely. And again, those are the things that we we've had to wrestle with. Uh, not only how do you move, uh, you know, infrastructure and changes in ventilation or electrical or or what have you, but remember too, even in some of our old warehouse buildings where you go in now and you see, you know, the uh, they they almost accent the 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 old heating uh, ductwork or the conversion from steam. So all these things become you know cost to convert. And again, remembering that we have building and occupancy standards for residential conversion. So just because you have a building, it doesn't mean that it's suited for uh, residential and or that you won't deal with lots of uh, you know pillars and support piles and where the elevators are and stairs, all to shift from accommodating um, one use, say, office, to then trying to figure out how and is it possible to put residential. So... There's always lots of questions. If 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 cost is no uh, no consideration, then it can be done. But often it can be very very expensive, and we saw that early on in the conversion of warehouses into residential that had to deal with all these issues. Gino, I'm wondering if we get more people living downtown. I mean, I think that's great. The more people downtown, the better. But do we have enough amenities? To make it viable, and I mean by amenities, I, I you know I know there's all kinds of, of fun stuff to do downtown, but just simple things like, you know, going to a, a drugstore to to pick up some basic essentials. Well, and and this is the this is the fundamental question that we've we've wrestled with since the '80s and the uh, first wave of conversion in the um, in the warehouse district. Sort of chicken and egg, right? Uh, do you hit a population threshold that then draws in the smaller grocers, more drugstores, more amenities? And what is that number? Like right now, the downtown is inching towards 20,000 people living in the, in the downtown proper. But remember, too, like from Assiniboine all the way, uh, the Assiniboine River all the way into, uh, into the Exchange District, we still have a very large footprint that we have to deal with in the downtown. So even if we can get up to 25,000 people in the downtown, it's still a pretty big area to kind of figure out where to put a small grocery store and maximize that. And or, you know, uh, you know more coffee shops or kinds of amenities that people want to see in their neighborhood. That's why, again, I keep pointing out the Exchange District because it's our best example of a a smaller part of the downtown that's really been trying to nurture that neighborhood feel with lots of different sort of walk-up amenities. And that, too, has taken probably, you know, 30-plus years to try to get to where it's at. And we had to entice developers with $10,000 tax credits here and $20,000 there. And I'm guessing we don't need to do that anymore, Gino. 
Yes, and, and that's a great point because we, we really saw a drop off in in those kinds of supports probably about uh, almost 20 years ago. I've always used that time period of uh, 2005 to, to 2020, that 15 year period where we actually saw the downtown market itself really take off. And then we're able to kind of remove those kinds of subsidies that could reach twenty, thirty thousand dollars per door for construction uh, uh, supports from the three levels of government. Again, whether or not we need to kind of stoke the fire uh, to get through this uh, pandemic and uh, restructure downtown, that remains to be seen. But right now, I think we're still firing on the uh, on the private sector driving most of the most of the development in the downtown. Gino DeStasio, Director of the Institute of Urban Studies and Vice President of Research and Innovation at the University of Winnipeg. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you both. It's Mackling and McGarry McNabb off this week. The rest of the week, we have a reminder, tickets to give away for the Manitoba Moose versus Grand Rapids, Canada Life Centre Friday, April 7th, or the Living Green Gardening Show at Red River Exhibition Place, April 7th to the 9th. The winner shall choose. We're asking you about your non-Achilles heel, non-food Achilles heel, like Kristen, who says, I think this topic has only served to make me realize I have several addictions, uh, like this beautiful puzzle that uh, she sent us a picture. It's Star Trek cats. So it's cats in Star Trek uh, scenarios. It's fantastic. Thousand piece puzzle. I'm looking at this. And of course the the cats have always these stoic looks on their face and, and they're in battle poses and, and all the, some of the great scenes from Star Trek over the years. So that that's, that's classic. So we're going to pick a winner at 9.15. The winner will pick the prize, and then we'll give away the other prize after Global News at 9.30. But in the meantime, we want to continue the discussion uh, because it's uh, we've get, we're getting some great feedback on betting on professional sports and the advertising that we see constantly when you're trying to watch said sports. Yeah, Jim Toth joins us now, host of the Jim Toth Show from 1 till 3 and co-host of Jets at Noon. And Jim, you and I have had this conversation uh, over the last several months, and I'm baffled. I'm blown away. It perplexes me that an active player like Connor McDavid is allowed to to participate and to be in a commercial for these betting sites. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. What's your take on it? Yeah, Greg, and thanks guys for having me on. Good morning to you, I, and I appreciate the Youth Gone Wild by Skid Row coming in. That was nice too. It's a good Thursday. Um, I, I'm surprised by it as well, gentlemen. Like I, I never really thought of it, right? Because I see these actors and I see these other famous people um, doing endorsements and and for everything. And gambling websites have a lot of money; they make a ton of money. So I never really thought about it. And then you and I started talking about it a while back, and I thought, yeah, like. Pete Rose, um, and rightfully so, I, I think Pete Rose is going through exactly what he should be because it's pretty clear that he bet on baseball while he was managing games that he was involved in. So you can't have that. But then you look at it and you think, well, Connor McDavid is telling you to go gamble. He's not telling you to gamble on hockey. He's not telling you to gamble on his games or his play or the Oilers. Um, but him and Wayne Gretzky are on board with telling you to gamble and, and are advertising for it. So it's this, it's this thing that um, somebody brought up to us when we were talking about it, Greg, and I made mention, and I fully apologize for who it was that made the point. I can't remember, but it was such a valid point of, 
you know, you don't see an athlete advertising for other potential addictive vices. You don't see advertising or doing beer ads anymore or liquor ads anymore. You don't see active athletes um, being in uh, commercials for endorsing uh, tobacco companies or, or things like that. So, um, it's interesting. It's intriguing. I never really took the angle till we brought it up and discussed it, that an active player is telling you to gamble. I think it's the, the fact that they're not telling you to gamble on their specific sports, but they're just not telling you to do that directly. Right? Like when you see that ad, do you not go, Oh, I wonder if what the over under on Con- Connor McDavid points are in tonight's game or, or what have you. So, um, it's an interesting thing to see that what athletes are, are endorsing now, what they aren't, and, and something directly involved in the sport that they play in, um, and, and an addictive vice to some, is, is considered okay. What about the credit card situation? Here's a text from Don. We're being told that credit card debt is at an all-time high, that many Canadians are having difficulty paying their monthly bills, and that food banks are being used more than they have ever been. The explosion of wagering on every sport imaginable, Don says, curling, really, is not going to make life easier for those who have gambling problems, excuse me. The excessive advertising is everywhere. So two points there come out of that for me. Yes, you can bet on just about anything right now. And what about the advertising? Like, they, Kevin Weeks, or I think it's Kevin Weeks, will show up in the middle of the game talking about the prop bets or or uh, or the the bets that I can make on the game that's on my screen at the moment they're doing split screen advertising with these uh, with these gambling websites yeah and that's one of the the parts that uh, I find interesting too is the idea that it's part of journalism now it's part of the fact that when you're teeing up a game and talking about who's injured and what time the game starts and how they how the the team is coming into the game from their fourth game on a five-game road trip. And part of the the coverage of that includes the over-under on this is they're averaging four goals a game. And so if you want to risk them scoring six tonight, this is what this pays. I just I don't know if that's part of the journalistic aspect of of covering a sport and and I see all the sports networks and and uh, even our own station you know uh, run some ads for these companies which the the advertising I get the idea that you would have segments because it's become such a prevalent part of the sports culture. Um, to gamble on games, the the idea that you would have a segment or two just lay, talking about odds and what you feel and what you think is good, the, the one I raise an eyebrow about is when it becomes part of the actual coverage, when, when the actual coverage of the over-under of a player pl- scoring a goal um, and we see that in part of the journalism, right? Like the Jets play Detroit tomorrow, and, and uh, they're coming off that loss to San Jose, and the Jets have only uh, scored this many goals, and they've been shut out in three of their last seven games. But as part of the story include that, and I'm just making this up, guys, that Kyle Connor has scored 18 goals in 20 games against Detroit, so the over-under of him scoring against Detroit on a Friday night uh, is this if you want to want to sprinkle some action down on it? I don't I don't know if that's part of the actual coverage of the event. I don't know if that's the actual coverage of, you know, he had a hat trick tonight, and if you if you picked him picking a hat trick, it played plus paid plus twelve hundred. I, I don't know where that comes into the journalistic aspect of of covering a game. I think it is. I think it's starting to uh, to find its way into that discussion. Usually, you had to go to a separate place to find those conversations those discussions and and it's being integrated right in uh speaking well jim we're always run out of time here 
what about the uh, the idea here uh, from Lori? It took 13 years watching our son deal with a gambling addiction to finally see him change. Our lives were upside down. I was shocked to see celebrities promoting this dark pastime for many. I say shame and all the celebrities who've lowered themselves needlessly to be uh, to being on these ads. I mean, our guest at 707 says it's all about the money. Is, is should there be a line there, or, or we should we be judging these these athletes, these actors? Uh, Jamie Fox is one who, who's you know lending his image uh, to to these sites. Thirty seconds. Yeah, I I don't have a problem with that. I'm just because like you know if a, if an actor wants to promote a beer company or a liquor company, he's not telling you to become an alcoholic. If an actor or wants to promote a gambling site, he's not, you know, and I get that there are vices out there and I get people have addictive personalities and I get that this happens with that. But the vast majority of people do not when they partake in this. The only issue I have with it is the direct link from an active athlete telling you to gamble. Um, I think there's a, an eyebrow race there. It's, you know, an actor or a personality is just somebody, you know, encouraging a business that, that they want to represent and, and have fun with. I do do sports betting. I do have a limit on it. I don't go over that limit and I don't do very well at it, but it's fun and it's active, but I don't make that part of, you know, the, the process of it. So celebrities endorsing this and stuff. And I, I get it for people who, you know, has an, uh, an alcoholic in the family, they probably don't want to sit there and see an actor promote uh, a liquor company. I understand that. The same for a gambling site. Um, my only issue is the direct correlation between an active athlete telling you to bet on sports. I, I wonder if that doesn't just raise the Pete Rose eyebrow of, you know, and then we all know, like if you, I mean, the Jets the other night against San Jose should have beat them. Right. And if somebody on the team is promoting the game for you to gamble on and then they lose to a team they should have beat, what do we all think? Even though there's probably no direct correlation, that's the aspect of anybody doing it, the promotion that has a direct correlation to the event itself. But anybody who doesn't have a direct correlation, I just think that's fair game. That's business. Jim Toth, we got to leave it there, but thank you very much, sir. Jim Toth is the co-host of Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras and the host of the Jim Toth Show 1 to 3, weekdays on 680 CJOB. It's Mackling and McGarry McNabb's off for the rest of the week. We're asking you about your non-food or drink Achilles heels. Yesterday we talked about your food or drink ones. Today the non-ones. And we only got a couple of minutes here. So, Greg, why don't you start us off with Mike's? Because this one, uh, as a runner-up, this struck me as rather unique. Good morning, guys. My wife will no longer allow me to purchase tape measures. I count at least 20 of various lengths and brands. I'm not sure of my fascination with them. Perhaps it goes back to when I was about 10 years old and was curious on how it worked. It seemed like magic, how the tape could be pulled out and retracted inside the case. So I grabbed my dad's only tape measure, removed the screw and cover and screamed in horror when the tape and the spring uncoiled in my hand. I think dad was able to rewind it, make it work, but my fascination was born and I do have my favorites. That's from Mike. Thanks for sharing that with us this morning, Mike. You know, there's some, there, there is something about tape measure that doesn't matter what I'm doing, if I get, if I need tape measured, I have to stop and play with it for a couple of minutes. 
Like I, it's <laughs> like I'm like I'm pulling a gun out of a holster or something. Oh, when, when yeah. You, when you get, especially if you get one that's like a bit bigger or more like a more robust. Yeah, yeah. The nice snapback, and if the lock works really well, you can have lightsaber <laughs> fights with yes. them. You can use them as hockey sticks. There's lots of things you can do <laughs> with tape measures if you're inventive and and have the time to do so. Tape measures, fun, Mike. That's a good one. Thank you for that. But Trev is our winner, and Trev says, hobbies are my downfall, or rather, a new hobby is my problem. I have a guitar, a bass, bagpipes, a violin, and a piano, but I tried for eight consecutive minutes on each and did not master them, (laughs) so they sit in a corner. I have an airbrush, paints, brushes, and canvases. But I have not painted even one thing. I have four motorcycles in various degrees of disrepair. Oh, Trev. I have four boats and six motors. Where's Trev put all this stuff? I have one of each that work, thankfully. I have 27 fishing rods, three tackle boxes, two fish finders. All this for that one time I get out every year. I have an ice fishing tent, ice auger, underwater camera, Ice fishing rods, a sled, and a heater. I have two days left to try to get out this season. (laughs) I have almost every woodworking tool known to man. I think I made a box once. And and he says, uh, oh, and I have 700 pounds of pure graphite. Oh, of course. That I have absolutely no idea what to do with. Trev, you win. Oh you get to pick my. the prize, either tickets for the Moose game on the 7th against Grand Rapids <laughs> or the Living Green Gardening Show at Rotor for Exhibition Place. Maybe you go to the Green Gardening Show and you become a, add gardening to your list of hobbies. You make a gardening box and you'll have made two in your life, Trev. <laughs>